My favorite part of this movie is the dog. <laughs> Which Me too. Is, <laughs> it's just surprised no one. Um, I think I think his or her name was Muttley, and I need that breed of a dog in my life right now. It was so cute. I, it looked like it was part Chihuahua and part something. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, it was just this cute, cute little face, a small dog, friendly. Like a lap dog, a dog who can like you know slept with the kids. You know, was in mom's bed when she was grading papers. I loved it, absolutely loved it. He he was so chill. Just the yeah. dog was super after all the chaos that's happening in the house. Super chill. <laughs> I think, and the dog was just waiting. Look, he was just waiting to be fed. That's it. <laughs> just just waiting for one of the kids to like not want their nasty food and eat. Even though the food didn't look nasty, I was with um. I forget the one of the brothers' name, but I don't like black eyed peas either. No, I, I was I, never a fan. Yeah, I was. I'm never a fan. My mom used to make them every uh, new New Year. Obviously, that's the thing we did. She made greens and she made black eyed peas, and I never wanted the black eyed peas. I'm like, no, you can eat that for the rest of the week. I'll just eat the greens. Um, yeah, I've never liked them either. I just don't like the flavor. It just was so. I can't even. It's like it's like a non flavor. Like, yeah. why would you put that in your mouth and, like, chew it? <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I know you add seasoning and stuff to it, but I'm just, I'm not a bean person in general. Like, I can take black beans in stride, but, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not a black, in black eyed peas, they, it, it, it's, that's a process in cooking and everything, and I'm just I'm way too lazy for that. But we are back, folks. <laughs> and, uh... We're back being really melanated. This has been um, a small hiatus, uh, not because me and Carolyn are having summer f fun and flocking around and being, uh, we're not real housewiving it up. We don't have that kind of money or ducats. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we're just honestly just figuring out um, our lives, um, two very different stages of our lives, but we mm -hmm. still, we still get along great. Um, I, you know, I moved a few times. That was fun. Sarcasm. And, <laughs> and just, you know, we're, we're, we're doing things. We have a lot of irons in the fire, I would say. A lot, yeah. Between the festival and then doing a few little outside projects and trying to exist. And, and yeah. <laughs> speaking of festivals, Carolyn, what do you have coming up? What can you tell people? Oh, man. Yeah, on um, August the 21st, I'm going to be doing a talk about uh, black women and the monstrous for Fantasia Film Festival, which is happening August fifth to the twenty fifth, I think. Yeah. So yeah, um, uh, I guess we'll put the deets on our show notes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Tell yeah. everyone right now where they can register. What's the website? Yeah. So it's um, you can go to fantasiafestival.com um, to register. Uh, it's called A Different Monster, Black Women, and the Monstrous. And it's August 21st at 4 p.m. 
Oh, I'm really excited. And I think a lot of other people are really excited too. And, you know, we are all about blackness on this show and my pick for August. Interestingly enough, I don't know why everything is aligning with mom and mom themes and my mom, your mom too. Mm -hmm. But my mom's birthday is this month, actually. And so I picked Kirkland from 1994, uh, directed by Spike Lee, uh, written by... Spike, but also his siblings, uh, Joa Lee, I think that's how you um, pronounce um, her name, and Sinke Lee as well. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how you announce his name as well. And those are both of his siblings, and they wrote, um, I don't know if, I guess you can consider it coming of age, but it's a family comedy slash drama from early 19, set in early 1970s Brooklyn, New York City. Sorry, Gray. You sorry, why? Sorry, I called your mother a hog. And you sorry about teasing me about being left back three times, about being on welfare, about me and my brothers having three different fathers. I'll bite already. I said I was sorry. This time, Spike Lee takes a whole new look at growing up in his old neighborhood. Is the TV on? No! Well, I'm crazy because I got five of y'all. Ow! Run me, stock raving mad. Somebody left the toilet seat up. I almost fell in again. Shut up, you flat chested witch. Why I gotta eat this? Black eyed peas have calcium. All the calcium in the world ain't gonna make up for this nasty taste. Can I have some drinks? No, please. Say no, you idiot. Give it up. Doesn't want to fight and yell. All daddy wants to do is play his music. In a place called Crooklyn. And stay All it took to keep it together was a little love, peace, and soul. Alfre Woodard, Delroy Lindo, and introducing Zelda Harris. That's what family's for. Gotta stick together, right? Right. Crooklyn, a Spike Lee joint. So um, my question is, I think I propose it to you um, as, as a movie I've wanted to talk about for quite for quite some time. I don't hear a lot of other people talking about it. I know some people who have another podcast, but I was I think I never asked you if you had ever seen it before. This was my Spike Lee blind spot, actually, because I I thought I had seen it, but I realized, no, this isn't the film I was thinking of. I don't even know what film I was thinking of. Um but no, I had never seen it. And oh, it's yeah, it's it's a lot of things. And I but I've I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. Anything else? Like I'm just, I, now I'm just curious. to hear. I just want to hear you kind of vomit about like your, your thoughts about it. Like I know you sent me kind of a, um, a text like with uh, cry emojis. Like what yes. how did it make you feel? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you know, the opening scenes. um, it just it's weird because I remember my parents talking about Brooklyn and you know because we lived there before we moved to Canada and I was born there and I remember my sisters would my sisters their memories are kind of fading now because you know everybody's a lot older like I think all three of us are actually in our peripheries (laughs) 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 and so that memory is kind of fading. Like I actually talked to my sister after I watched the film. I'm like, did you ever see Crooklyn? She goes, oh, no. And I said, you would probably be flooded with memories just because, you know, the, the kids, the girls jumping double Dutch, um, sitting on the stoop. It just made me feel like I don't have 
any memories of New York because I was so young, but mm-hmm. I feel like it it gave me like this wave of nostalgia from like how my parents talked about New York, how my sisters talked about it. Like, you know, they used to go, they would go to, it was like the block and they would go to people's birthday parties and like, it just, it just felt really nostalgic to me, even though I didn't experience it firsthand. I felt like it was a secondhand experience, but I could feel the place that it was coming from, from the, from the Lee clan, you know, where Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of putting their memories to film. And that's what it felt like to me. It just felt like, um, like almost like a photo album. You open the photo album and like, there's one moment, there's another moment. And like, it looked like, um, even the way it was filmed was like from different cameras, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just, it was like a, a kind of, um, yeah, it was like a photo, a photo album where you're flipping through different memories. They don't necessarily have to connect or, kind of make sense from one moment to the next so yeah I just yeah I just thought it was just a a basically memories committed to film absolutely it's so semi-autobiographical um obviously it's based on um, Spike Lee's family growing up back then you said a lot of things that really you're absolutely right it was shot by um I believe his name is Arthur Jaff who worked on Daughters of the Dust so that's who shot the film and you're you're right you you are so right on target i think one of spike's one of the things that i love you know whether you, you know from his quote unquote in your opinion maybe worse work to his best work he tends to like i love watching his work because it is its memories its photographs its images of just regular the regular human experience but it's but it's also blackness too in that it's the black American experience. And that's what I love. It's one of the things um, I loved about both. She's got to have it, the television series and the movie. Like he, like he uses f- f- photography a lot, especially in, um, in, in opening sequences and things like that. And the opening of Crooklyn with the stylistics um, and people make the world go round again. These are these are the songs that my my mother kind of passed down to me, and that's the other reason why I kind of harp on generations because like don't discredit like us older millennials. Like every that sequence, even though that was like 15, 20 years you know removed from us being on this planet, like those 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 games that they were playing on the sidewalk, not just Double Dutch, but the ones where you. Um, I don't even remember the names of some of them anymore. Like, you know, when they're playing one, two, three, red light or freeze tag or how you like um, put your, you put your um, foot with other people's foot. And then you're like using your index finger and you're like, you're, you're figuring that's how you're singing songs to figure out who would be it by touching people's, by touching, um, by touching your toes and the shoes or whatever, like all that, like we did, like I grew up doing all of that. I was out from sun up to sundown playing those games with my friends on the block. So that's that's also very much a part of my childhood too. It was one of those things that was passed down mm-hmm. from the generations. It was just like, well, my mom's like, well, I did that. So, all right, go ahead, play, go, you know, do, you know, do those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So that, that, that opening felt really, uh, felt very real for me too. Um, even though, and even the way it looked, um, Philadelphia and New York city, they aren't too far apart. There, there are definitely some, uh, regional and cultural differences, but a lot of the similar things that we did 
are very much the same. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, I loved it. I love the opening. Um, mm-hmm. I love also Spike again is very, he sucks you in man with those superficial things. Like even the, even him mastering the way he uses music, not only with Terrence Blanchard, who's a fantastic scorer. I mean, he's a, he's a composer. He's probably one of my favorite composers and whom I believe did the um, score for Crooklyn. I'm 99.9% sure. But then also he's using other just like old school music. And he said, he said that's one of the, his favorite things to do with his work is like he loves finding like, especially for a movie like Crooklyn. So he basically used the, mu- the music that he grew up um, when he was when he was a kid. He just put it uh, specifically in like places that felt uh, appropriate. So, for example, like one of my favorites is when Troy, played by Zelda Harris, who is kind of our main character, um, how she's in her older brother's room. Clinton, right? Yes. And. So how she's she's looking around his room and you hear um, Mr. Big stuff. I forget um, who sings that song. Do you remember? Oh my I, God, no. Let me. Um, by 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 Gene Knight. Big stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, but you yeah, know, yeah. but it's but that was but again that was like one of those like nods to like her older brother being this like you know this that kind of bully of a big brother kind of pompous kind of like i know everything i'm smarter and mm-hmm. the, the the use of that song was very much on target and she was in there just to kind of get back at him she's like he's mean to me so i'm gonna like you know I- i'm gonna bring him down a notch by stealing his buffalo quarters and his next tickets so like stuff like oh. you know what i mean um yeah yeah <laughs> so um i i love all of that i we can just, yeah, I can talk forever about this film, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely a film that I've, I've been obsessed with for a very long time. I think because even when I was younger, when this movie came out in the nineties and I noticed that there was a movie centered around this little black girl. And again, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a very common thing you see in cinema. And I really appreciated that, that film for what it was. I thought it was, um, I always thought like everything happened. They say semi-autobiographical, but I, but of course, as a kid, I'm thinking this is like line for line everything that happened in um, Joao Lee's life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just looking through um, Terrence Blanchard Blanchard's um, IMDb, and he's done a lot of my favorite films. Like um, he did my favorite Spike Lee movie, Bamboozled. Um, mm-hmm. He did Love and Basketball. I love that movie. Um, yeah, like there's a lot. A lot of film. He he did Primal Fair. Oh no, he was a musician. He was on there. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that movie has so much. Like Crooklyn has so much in it. Yeah, it's just like it's like childhood. It's like black childhood. Like summertime. I think it's a really excellent summertime film as well. You mm-hmm. know, like it's just it just is like. I feel like I could almost smell the air, like smell the candy that they're eating, you know, smell the, 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 the dinners that um, mom oh, is 1, making. percent Yeah. Like it's just, oh, it's a very, it's weird. It's a very um, sensory film to me. It just, I don't know, maybe just cause I miss being a kid at some points. So there's a lot of things I miss. We um, miss being kids being because we have to have no jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could just yes. play all day. It says very few worries. Um, yeah, and that's I honestly that's let's keep it real. Like that's I, for me. That's what I miss because I, 
yeah. I would, and, and of course we, our parent, our parents aren't around anymore. And so I think for us, for me, it's mm-hmm. always about like, sometimes I get those feelings. I'm just like, oh, that was when mom was alive. It's, it's always kind of like that for me. And like, you know, just, yes. just hear, hearing, hearing our mother's voices, their presence and, you know, yeah. all, all that stuff. It just, it, that's what makes me kind of feel good sometimes about like thinking about being a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think of like, you know, I, I, I live in and I grew up in Toronto and it just makes me think of, we had like this back porch. It was kind of like, um, like a covered back sunroom, I guess you would call Mm -hmm. it. But sometimes when it was too hot in the house, my mom would like braid our hair in the back. And like, you know, I remember the smell of like, oh God, the dad. Oh my God. Who doesn't know Dex? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway like she would like grease our scalps with dacks and braid our hair or like you know sometimes she would just sit out there and like you know just and like there's a lot of moments with um uh carolyn actually played by alfrey woodard um where she was just sitting and having a moment by herself mm-hmm. and it reminded me of my mom like sometimes she would sit on our front step um just on a nice summer night and just sit out there and be you know by herself sometimes I go sit with her but you know it's it was it just really reminded me of my my mom and like just the fact that Carolyn couldn't get away from her family oh no (laughs) was really it was something that really stuck with me in this film same my mother was yeah, it was because that same, especially that same energy when her and Delroy Lindo's character, what was his name, Woody, I believe. Yeah, when they were like kind of mm-hmm. arguing or having a tiff, it was like the same. Like, I remember those kind of arguments where it's just like you know, Carolyn is is like she's there, and she's just like you know, I can't get a, a moment's peace without like you know, you know, six people hanging off, hanging off my tits, and I'm just like, it's the same. <laughs> she put it in such a crass way, but it's kind of true. It's just like, and you know, when she does get those moments where she's sitting on her chair, or she's sitting in her bed with the dog. Oh my god! And or when she's kind of just sitting um out sitting um outside their front window, it's kind of like that. Those are those moments of peace. And my mom did the same. Was same similar. Um, we didn't have a porch. I mean, we had a, no, we did have a porch in one of the houses that we lived at, but she was more of, my mother was the, was the kind of woman. She liked to do the, like, I, I'm sitting in my bedroom looking outside. Like she was, she was mm-hmm. very much a Benita Patrell without mm-hmm. the gossip. <laughs> I'll leave that for the people who, who know that Living Color reference. Um, but. Hey, <laughs> hey. I love her. I love her. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't talk about miss jenkins and she'll say something say something yeah. shady about miss jenkins and then yeah now, i ain't want to gossip you ain't heard that from me no you haven't <laughs> my favorite um it was that was funny though but yeah uh so yes. yeah i the, i think that's what i don't know if i don't i wouldn't say it's a mom thing but it's just something that like our our mothers were probably somewhat close in age i think your mom was probably older than mine for obvious reasons but yeah um, yeah for for effort for reference, Carolyn already kind of blur- blurred her age range. Um, I'm 38, so there's a difference. Um, there's a difference there. So I I have a had a very like I had a baby boomer mother. She was a she was a she was a late baby boomer, but a baby boomer. So and just again kind of, the kind of baby boomer parents who was just again let their kids disciplined disciplined us with an iron fist, but was also very liberal in what we watched and consumed and let us play again, play outside till just let us kind of literally roam free. Somebody on Twitter called us free, free range children, which was 1000% <laughs> yeah. accurate. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I, that's what I, this film, if we were to put it into more perspective is really, it's, it literally is just about, um, a portrait of a school teacher, her stubborn jazz musician husband, and their five kids living in Brooklyn in 1973. Took that from IMDb. Uh, the cast in it, again, um, Delroy, this was before Delroy Lindo had children. So, uh, he was, so he was kind of awkward kind of interacting with the, with the, with the children in the in the movie, but I think he did a really excellent job. He he, he seemed like again that kind of like to an extent old school kind of hands off father, just wanting to keep the peace. Also, he's a musician, so your father was a musician. Oh my god, both our fathers are musicians. What? Well, my dad was an artist and a um, so called musician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still have his bongos. He's got these beautiful like for for mica blue like bongos and then he has like a little red accordion and yeah so i don't i yeah i remember him trying to play the accordion but whatever <laughs> and you are the spitting <laughs> image of that man like your your oh, sister's favorite your mom but you look like your dad i yeah you know <laughs> oh yeah but we both have like artistic type fathers man, right oh so, man they just oh yep. man so Again, I didn't grow up with my dad, but like from what I can remember, Woody's character is very much like my father, and my mother was not having it <laughs> in a lot of different ways. I remember stories where he, because I would have been, I was already, I would have been spoiled rotten if I grew up with him. Spoiled rotten, um, because he just he, he was he he was it was on the trajectory of letting me have my way, and my mother was not. She was like, no, absolutely not. She cannot hear yes all the time. It's not going to happen. So, mm-hmm. Alfre Woodard uh, has your namesake, her character, um, very much kind of a seventies mom. She had she had the natural hair, the way she dressed, and everything. Mm-hmm. Thought was really again. I I, I love that too. Um, David Patrick Kelly, who was a veteran actor, very well known New York actor. People um people talk about him a lot. He was he was on Ghost Rider. He's most well known for being in The Warriors. Uh, he played uh, that character with all the dogs who didn't, who never like cleaned up after them and played terrible music. Oh. That was his character. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carlton Williams played Clinton, who we're assuming is very much Spike Lee with his obsession with basketball, his big glasses. He was just taller than Spike. Um, <laughs> Sharif Rashid played Wendell, who was the, even the more, who was also one of the other uh the chubbier, light-skinned, kind of like Randy, Randy brothers, who was like really defiant and argumentative, and um, C. Mock Washington. Hope I pronounced his first name correctly. He played Joseph, and Christopher Knowings played Nate. Uh, Jose Zuniga, who played Tommy Lala, who was the um, the Latino dude who was singing, <laughs> yes, <laughs> who was singing um, R and B love ballads on the stoop. And uh, Isaiah Washington, um, of course, plays the guy back from Vietnam, played Vic. I'm, I'm assuming the war was Vietnam. That's what it, I, because for the time, um, for the time frame of this particular film. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's kind of the cool character who all the guys on the street admire because he was in the war. He's a man's man. He's got this beautiful, beautiful Puerto Rican girlfriend. I'm assuming she's Puerto Rican. <laughs> um, um, you have um, Adelka Reyes as Jessica, who I believe played Troy's. Um, Played Troy's friend, the the Latino um, girl with the big pigtails, yes. and of yeah. course Spike Lee, who has to be in his movies more times than not. He played Snuffy, played the the the, the neighborhood junkie. 
Um, also, Von D. Curtis Hall had a great had a great um, presence as Uncle Brown, who's the who's the kid's uh, family uncle, really sweet guy. Um, even Joa Lee plays, I believe, plays his wife or his girlfriend in the film as well. It's always a joy to see Von D. Curtis Hall, if you ask me. He's a really fantastic actor. I love that him and Casey Lemons are married. I think that's just a uh, beautiful union. I love them together. Yeah. I yeah. I hope. I, I just. I hope. I just hope they have a great marriage. They had. I think they had a couple of sons. One of the sons now is an actor who was in the first film we did, which is Sella and the Spades. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. It's like literally a combination of both of them mm -hmm. in his looks. And I wish he was 10 years older because hello. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and of course you have the star of the movie, um, Zelda Harris, um, her play Troy. Um, she uh, was a child actor. She started out um, in a sh on a show called I'll Fly Away. I don't know if anyone really remembers that show. Do you, Carolyn? Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah, My mom watched it. So I remember my mom watching it. And again, like this is the time where... Of course, it was the Cosby Show and things like that, but like still, to but to see like real like black drama centering black people that was wildly uncommon when Off Fly Away came out. So like my mom was like, mm -hmm. "Ooh, what's this?" And I and I remember her watching it, and so I sometimes would watch it with her. So um, yeah, Zelda Harris has you know she's been acting here and there. Uh, I think I think one of her last IMDb credits was something from 2016, but um, I believe she's also been. I mean, she went on to college. Um, she pretty much she she lived a really low-key life you know she didn't really like go full hollywood she just kind mm -hmm. of um did her own thing she she's 36 years old now she's a beautiful woman if you ask me she lives in los angeles um i believe spike lee in an article that he did um recently in 2017 about like they had a, um, a crookland screening um for a retrospective they had for like what, what are some of the seminal or not to use that term because i know that term is the term is of the patriarchy, but basically what are the, some of the most like, you know, um, what are the more foundational films that you think of when you think of New York city and a vote of people chose Crooklyn as one of those. And so Spike kind of talked about being kind of honored by that, especially being up against all these other kind of like well-known New York films. But he talked about Zelda. He talked about, you know, yeah, she just, she, we didn't, we wanted someone unknown and she was one of the 1000 people who kind of came in to, to, uh, wow. Yeah. And so he just liked her. He liked her energy and thought she was the best person to play the role. And, you know, she is definitely a standout. She, she, she just, she really just played a, played a child, mm -hmm. but, but also she played it with a brevity of emotion because we, when we get into the, the pretty much the third act of the film was when, um, Carolyn is declining, her health is declining because of cancer. Like that's the way she, you know, how do you, how do you, play you're the only girl we have all male siblings and you lose the other woman in the house mm -hmm. and like how do you and as a child as a 10 year old how do you deal with that yeah 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 I thought she that that was probably the the most kind of impactful kind of sequences to me to kind of like I don't know what her direction was but the way she kind of conveyed the emotion of that of kind of being it, it wasn't that she was disconnected from her emotions about it i think she just i don't know if she understood how to process it i, I just really felt that it was played really very 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 beautifully because that when you're mm. as, as i as i lost my mom as an adult and that was just that was devastating and i just let all the emotions kind of flow out of me because i didn't because i felt like i was in a space to do that i had i gave myself permission 
And as a kid, I don't know if you, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know yourself at 10 years old. So you don't know. So sometimes you really don't know how to process what's going on. And so that, that's, I, I will never, luckily I had the time that I had with my mother. It didn't end. It didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't end so young. It didn't end at such a young age for me. And so I just thought that, like the way she played it, the way she was just kind of just, it was a sadness that I, she just felt she, I don't know. You tell me. Cause I, well, yeah, please. Cause yeah. I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah, because I felt like she was, she, she, she was, she had like this duality. So she had this like tough girl demeanor. She has these four brothers you know, she's always threatening to kick their asses. Then she's out with her friends um, and she kind of has to have this tough girl demeanor so she doesn't get bullied. Um, but then she has the soft side with her mother because she wants to be like her mother in a way because mm-hmm. they both have the braids and, you know, and 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 she's also like growing up and she, she you know the scene where she's in the bathroom and she's putting toilet paper <laughs> to give herself the fake boobs and she wants to grow up and and you know she's realizing that she is a girl she's not like her brothers even though she could take all of them <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just like this kind of she's it's like she doesn't know where she wants to be does she want to be the tough girl who can beat up the boys or does she want to be the girly girl and then when you see her mother um, start to get sick and then when she goes away to her cousin's place, she's kind of she has that girliness forced on her. Yeah. And she likes it. And she's like, hey, this is pretty good. And she realizes her and her cousin have a lot more in common than she thinks. And she starts to enjoy herself. But it's like it's kind of like it's outside of her reality because, you know, I mean, we could get into this later, but the South has like this kind of weird, almost like fairy tale existence. Whereas like the Brooklyn, Crooklyn, <laughs> you know, is like real and it's gritty and it's dirty and it's grounded. So it's she has to revolve between these two existences, I guess. I love that you said this kind of distorted reality, because I think that's what Spike did with the camera. When as soon as they get mm-hmm. when they get to Maryland, like everything looks like it's like distorted, like the, even when mm-hmm. you, it, it's very disorienting to watch every time you watch it. Mm-hmm. As soon as they're outside of Brooklyn and they're in the South, the the way the the way the film the film looks or the way the people look on screen is it, very like oblong and awkward looking. It's hard for me to describe it. Some I've heard like uh, critics online describe it kind of as as a fishbowl effect or whatever with the with the mm-hmm. lens. But you're right. Um, she did she got that girliness forced on her. Uh, what interesting, of course, we were just talking about hair doing hair is when her um is when her cousin or her, her auntie I'm sorry was uh was 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 combing her was using a straightening comb to like take um take the kinks out of her hair and kind of like commenting on like not understanding you know cornrows and braids like very very old school kind of like you know for, for lack mm-hmm. of for lack of a better term kind of uppity negro kind of a like approach she took like you know what is this what are these braids what are these cowrie shells like just not understanding the style and the way she looked or not understanding why she wouldn't want her hair pressed you know what i mean or her mother wanting mm-hmm. her to do her hair like that or even with the whole thing with her pajamas like she again she comes from a, um she's probably very much a girl but also probably has a tomboy edge to her so she had just regular pajamas but that wasn't but that wasn't good enough she you're a girl you're supposed to wear girly frilly flowy pajamas and things like that 
and um, for her cousin too. I think her cousin was feeling uh, was again. She, that's all she knew in her life was that was this you know um, suburban kind of like rural Maryland kind of a, a kind of an upbringing or existence where everything where you go to church every Sunday and you got to be you have to. Pre- present very much like a you know very feminine and I think she was even rebelling against that to a point like she was kind of like sick of feeling like she couldn't be her maybe there's a part of her where she wasn't feeling like she could be herself either because when Troy comes like she sees someone who's from the city I think seemed very more much more exciting and she just she feels it like it was like it was like it was a nice reprieve for her because she got to she got a, mm-hmm. she got a taste of something that she's not familiar with but she's very much attracted to because it doesn't seem boring or, or, or as mundane because all that girly stuff may not also be her kind of jazz too, and they, and they got they got along really well, and I I really like that aspect as well. I liked that Spike and and Joie and Cinque kind of incorporated again young young female girls bonding, and I love the idea of even the older women like you know with their own ideologies, kind of like you know oh this is how you do your hair, this is what you wear, these are the things you listen to, these are the things that you do as you know young girls. So I I liked all of that kind of like female bonding and those those interrelationships intergenerational generational relationships between black women and I think that's what I love about this film yeah actually that that relationship with her cousin um I thought it was really lovely because I was afraid that they were going to be at odds and there was going to be like a fight and you know because the cousin is so light-skinned and 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 Troy is so you know she's darker skinned and her hair isn't as the aunt aunt song I believe her name was she's like oh well you know um, I forget the cousin's name, but she's like, yeah, she's got good hair and, and all that nonsense, you know, the good hair nonsense. And I'm just so glad that they completely look past these like trappings of, of respectability mm-hmm. and, and present to be quote unquote presentable black people. And they just, they're like, we get along and we're friends and it didn't even phase them. And I really, it, I felt like a sense of relief. Isn't that weird to say? Like, yeah, I did that. They didn't put them at all. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even. You know, honestly, I didn't even think about it. And I, that may be the magic of the film, the filmmakers. It's just because I was, of course, I could see that the, the young, the young girl was like a lot lighter than Troy. But also, like, I didn't even. It didn't even. I didn't even. It didn't even come into mind that they would have any kind of conflict because of their skin tone. Like they just made, they just naturally just kind of just like were friends with each other. And again, growing mm-hmm. up, that was that was how it was for me most most more times than not nine like nine point nine times out of ten, I never had issues with like um, color um, with with amongst my friends. We were all different shades. But yeah, even with them, and honestly, I'm I'm gonna I am going to call BS because I'm looking at that light skinned child's hair and. She, you, you can't. She doesn't have good hair because she's light skinned Like let's 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 yeah. can, let's kill that myth entirely, okay? Exactly. Because yeah. I have been told I, all my life I've had quote unquote good hair. It's just a different texture. It's just it's just it's not. Yeah. The only reason I have I I have what people may call good hair, even though I'm glad that's kind of going out of style, is because my mm-hmm. hair is not four C. That is the only reason mm-hmm. why people would say I have good hair. So that's yeah that's not you know so it has nothing to do with skin tone at all but again that was yeah. like an easy kind of cop out and it's it's one you probably wouldn't catch if you again it's like i think as black female um spectators we're seeing we, we we pick up on those things quite nicely but i'm glad you did point that out because it's something again funny enough i didn't think about it i was I, my thing was are they not going to get along because 
Tori's from the city and she's from the suburbs or, she, or she's from the mm-hmm. south. Like that was that was my I was I was seeing more of a regional conflict than a color one. But I think both. But you could really. But honestly, you you're watching that. You're thinking that might be a possibility. But again, it kind of blended so seamlessly that these that these young girls were just they were just kids and they got along. Mm-hmm. And I I remember and that's what a lot of people said. Like I remember I don't know like. I don't know if you remember seeing like old school Jerry Springer episodes where they'd have like the clan on and stuff. And like, and that was like, that was like the junk TV that you watched as, as I'm a child of the nineties. So that's the kind of junk TV I was like absorbing, but I will never forget. There was a black woman on that show and she was talking about how, you know, kids don't know any better. Like she was talking, like her point was, you know, if you put, if you put kids of different rate of different, quote unquote races or color skin tones in a playpen with each other, they're all going to play with each other. They're not going to think about your, you know, they're not going to think about, you know, you're, you're white or you're black, so we can't play with each other, or I'm more superior than you because I'm white. You know, it's like, she was, she was kind of making that point. And I, and I guess that's mm-hmm. like my long winded way of kind of like seeing their perspective too. I'm kind of seeing Troy and her cousin being like, they were just kids. And they, and again, they were both girls who were not around a whole bunch of other girls, especially Troy more, more so that's more so if we know of, a, of, of Troy. So, mm-hmm. And that's why I think she, I think even though she did not want to stay in the South because she, yeah, of course you don't really want to go and you're not, your family's not staying. You don't want to, you're used to what you're used to. And you think that's, every, you think that's your whole world. But then she like goes to the South every summer and well, this summer in particular and gets to like hang out with um, another young girl and kind of have that kind of bonding experience. So, and that's what I, that's kind of how I took it. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I totally agree. I think, and I think that she actually, I mean, for better or for worse, she learns how to be, to embrace, I guess, a different version of herself. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have to be like this tough girl all the time. So I did like that aspect. I, I, it's weird because, you know, you're talking about like, I guess, I guess gender ascribed gender characteristics and wearing a dress and pressing your hair and wearing bows and being dainty. But also I think she did need to be uh, taken outside of this. Like she needed to experience more. I think that Troy needed to experience something outside of her little bubble Mm -hmm. on her street. And I think that it was nice for her to have that, as you were saying before, that female relationship, because, um, it's just, yeah, I think she was just surrounded by too many boys <laughs> and it, it just seemed like it was like a struggle. Like it was just taxing. It just seemed like it was taxing for her because she always had to be on guard. Yeah. And I feel like she let her guard down around her cousin. So I thought that was really nice. Even though she had female friends on the block, I think it was just like a, a nice, like kind of like get away from the city and just being in, the, being in a different environment too and being open to it. Yeah. Because again, yeah. I don't know... Um, Oh, you didn't grow up in America, in the United States, but like my mom, my mom went down to Virginia to our family during on during summers, and it was like she liked it, but it was like kind of like a love hate relationship with that whole thing going down south during the summer. Um, again, mm. you got to experience a different way of life. Um, you got you got to learn new things. I think my mom rode a tractor trailer, like you know, like stuff like stuff you can't do in Philadelphia, basically. Um, mm. Just just on the street on the regular. So I, I remember hearing stories about like, yeah, that was pretty common. Sometimes if you had family down south, I said where you, this, you could spend your summers there if um, if people were open to it. You know, you know. Again, we saw Troy did have the um, Latino little girlfriend as well, who interestingly enough, let's the the mischief of 
of like, you know, the desire to, when you don't have any money and you want that candy or you want that bag of chips, you're in that store. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, and it's, again, we're not, like, I don't know, like, the, the Latino um, store owner, when he asked a little, he asked a little Latino girl for a kiss. Like, I, I don't know how you feel. Like, I don't, I, hopefully that's going out of fashion. Because cause yeah. grown men should not be, it wasn't appropriate back then either, but it was so, but again, I, me, it was so common. You weren't thinking about the inappropriateness of it, but like as an adult now, just like, bro, if a little girl does not want to kiss you on the cheek, do not force, like, do not do that. It's like, get lost. Yeah. Like, like don't, <laughs> so gross. That, and that sets a really bad president. Like that's, that's, that's a long dark road. You know what I mean? So just like, and, he, yeah. and even though he didn't force her, force her, he was just like, I'm gonna tell your mom. She was like, go ahead, tell her. I don't care. Um, so, but and it's funny enough because he was sweet on her. She's a, she's a little Latino girl. Like she stole, like she went back and stole the ice cream or the, or no, the, I think the, was it a bomb pop? It was something, it was like some kind of, um, popsicle. And then, but Troy got caught, <laughs> interestingly enough, yeah. you know, now he, now he did let her go, which is cool. Cause that's, that's kind of a neighborhood mm-hmm. thing. Like you get caught once doing mm-hmm. it and just like, all right, that's just your warning. You're not supposed to be stealing. So. But you know he didn't he didn't catch a little he didn't catch a little Latino girl with the with the big poofy uh, ponytails right he didn't catch her mm-hmm. with the long ponytails I should say, um, but yeah she that was they they were friends you know she that was she had a friend in her she had a friend in some of the girls and it's interesting because they did the um because Bokeem Woodbine apparently this was his film debut because he's kind of in the background he's sitting on the stoop with the with the boys. And they're they're doing they're doing a little thing or playing stuff, and then the girls are on the stoop, and then they did what girls did. They play it if the girl if one if one girl has long hair, you're playing in her hair. Ooh, she got pretty hair, and then you're arguing. Everyone's calling each other ugly or stupid. Mm-hmm. Or it's a whole thing, and then oh um. So y- y'all want to y'all want to jump rope? Oh, I do. I want to play. I'm t- I'm turning. It's my turn, or I'm it's my turn to jump. You know, and so you forget all you forget all the back talking y'all were doing to each other so like all of that stuff was again this this film this film felt very kind of natural like the flow of it was just very yeah we've talked about this over the past couple of weeks just this summer just want just wanting the wanting the refreshment of authentic black stories that center black people having a human experience mm-hmm. and that's all that's what that's what's exciting us about cinema right now and if we're not getting it in certain spaces, wink, wink, then mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, our, our interest lessens where our, we don't have the, we don't have the oomph for it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it, it just, Crooklyn is so refreshing in that aspect where, and you see, like, it's not only black people, it's like Latinx, you know, like it just like okay so they don't get along with their um what is his name was his name tony eyes or something the neighbor yeah, the neighbor with the dogs they don't get along with him but he's also a part of the community and there's a, the older white women that sit in the front and like everybody is just like this mishmash in the neighborhood and it, it was a time where you could tell someone's kid hey quit that or i'm going to tell your mom yep. or like it was like this like a village that everybody was like, okay, they would look out for each other's kids or look out for the neighborhood kids. Or I don't know. I, I kind of had that experience on my street where I grew up because we had a corner store that was about half a block away. And so it was in between my house and my grade school. And so we would, you know, my dad, oh my God, my dad was so cheap. He would give us like pennies royal rolled up in foil. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we go, go to the store. You want to go buy something, go to the store. So we would go and with our pennies and buy like candies and stuff. And I remember seeing other kids stealing and stuff. And like my parents were so strict, like I would never, ever try stealing anything. So, you know, I would see other kids do it. And then you run home down on the street or like my parents, again, they were really strict, but I was allowed to ride my bike up and down the street. And like my neighbor, um, Teresa, we would hang out together. She actually seemed, I think she, my neighbor, Teresa, had more of a choy experience because she had, um, I think she had four brothers as well, three or four brothers. And she was like a little, you know, rambunctious little girl. And like, we would do all kinds of stuff. Like I'd be eating dirt and whatever, grabbing worms, picking up crickets, whatever. We'd just be doing all kinds of stuff. Right. So yeah, I kind of, I relate to that experience where it wasn't a, like a in the city street, but it was like kind of um like, you know, like a, it wasn't like we weren't in the suburbs, we were in the city, but it was just like a more neighborhood type area. Mm-hmm. But I do remember like, you know, like running around with my neighbors and stuff like, yeah, it's just such a nice feeling to watch a film like that, that takes you back to the good memories of being a child, you know? Yeah. So like, even when they lose their mother, um, it, it tended to bring them closer as siblings. Like at least you saw a hint of it. Cause you know, Clinton is like, the, he's the he's the big brother of them all. So he's, you know, looking down on all of them and asserting and asserting his supremacy in a sense because of his age. But um, again, I love the, uh, when they use um, the five star steps, I'm sorry, the five stair steps, um, the song, Ooh Child. And I just, mm-hmm. I love that. I love how they use that was um, in the, within the, f- the funeral scene of that. And, you know, Troy's sitting down. She doesn't want to eat. She doesn't want to interact with anyone. Because you know how you have the repast where everyone goes back to the house and has food and mm-hmm. everyone's around. And so Clinton goes up to Troy and just grabs her hand and just kind of holds on to it. And I thought that was a really tender moment. That was really, really sweet. Uh, I am the oldest, but I have two, I have two brothers. So I, again, I grew up in a house full of boys with my mom, but... um. I'm the oldest, so there's a difference. Um, I there was there was no kind of like, I didn't like I, I it wasn't kind of like an age supremacist in that way. I wasn't a bully, but I was also but I was also a girl kind of like you know coming into puberty and just kind of wanted to be left alone and then because I'm I'm not I wasn't a kid anymore because there's a big age difference. So um, that's the only difference between me and them. But I the, but my mother was a tomboy. She had a brother. I had brothers, so none, neither of us have sisters. So that that we have very our feminine energy is like, it's just enough. We don't, there's no cup runneth over a feminine energy when it comes to us. Cause we, we very much um, identify as women, but also we're just like, I ain't into that girly stuff. Y- y'all doing, y'all doing too much. <laughs> so that's kind of how I grew up too. Um, but I was able to, I wasn't, I didn't have to be too tough because I was the oldest. I didn't, I didn't, I never had to like fight for anything. So like, again, like very much like Troy being the only girl, like you never, you notice how the TV was in her room. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. in the boys' room. It was in her room. So yeah, at least she got to control that, right? To know, an extent, bit. yeah. Uh, Except for yeah. when her brother wanted to watch the Knicks, or though she did get to watch like cartoons, or like well, she was there watching the Partridge Family, yeah. which I thought was cute. <laughs> Again, this is all before my time. We used to watch it, like because it would rerun, right? So we would watch it. Yeah, we. I remember watching the Partridge Family and like H.R. Puff and stuff, and like um. All those like 70s kids shows, which are 
and actually I wanted to bring up too when she's when Troy is watching with her cousin that weird show <laughs> where they're singing that weird song about the devil coming to you and I was like, what the hell? The devil's after me. Yeah, so (laughs) what the hell is that? That He's always throwing six, six, seven, eight, nine. He misses every time. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I I don't know. I, I, I almost think Spike Lee's films all all are all in one Brooklyn universe because he's used that he's used that melody. Even in the TV God. show, she's got to have it. Even going up when oh. when Nola's going when Nola's going up the same steps, he uses that melody. I don't know why that's a thing with him that song, but yeah, I'm sorry, you were saying something, <laughs> but it's, it was creepy. I just like you see them; they're all sunshiny. They're wearing like nice a, a suit jacket, and everybody's all like wearing their Sunday best, and they're singing this like really creepy song, <laughs> like. Oh, uh, that's creepy. And I, if if I had heard that song when I was a kid, that would haunt me to this day because I'm all about that creepy shit. When I was a kid, I was all over it. So. Y'all didn't have like yeah. televangelists, like kid kid TV programming at all. That's what I think. That's what oh, it was sh- basically. I'm sure we did. I just we never watched. Yeah, it. Yeah, your parents and- were never into it. Well, they were like Catholic. Catholic that's so different. Just- yeah. We just got tortured in church. Yeah, either, <laughs> Sunday school. you know, yeah, the Yamanika Saunders, the comedian, she was just like, she said, because somebody was talking on something, and she was like, "Y'all Catholic niggas are soft." She's like, "Stop <laughs> it!" It's just a different. It, yeah, Catholicism is a very different culture than a lot of a lot of, a lot of a lot of the black people I grew up with. A lot of black people grew up Baptist or Episcopalian. Yeah. So yeah. no, no one did the Catholicism was always seen as for white folks, basically. Um, Listen, for black man. for black Americans in this region specifically, yeah, no, because I guess uh, I maybe it's it. I don't know if it's different in the West Indies, but yeah, they were very cat because I know the West Indies has like Seventh Day Adventists. There's like the Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a few kind of Christian offshoot religions. I'm not versed in religion at all, so um, but yeah, I think. Um, oh, like obviously, um, Muslim. There's a lot of Muslims there as well. Um, but I don't know. It, yeah, like we were. I don't know why. I don't. I actually, I don't even know the origins of who was the first Catholic in my family. <laughs> I don't even know. But yeah, I was not down with it. Still, I'm not down with it. We'll never be down with it. So it was a- any kind of yeah, any kind of thing. Yeah, no, it was always my impression that uh, Caribbean folks were more akin to Catholicism, but they, all, they always blended mm-hmm. it with the other kind of religious practices from maybe their countries of origin: Ghana, yeah, Nigeria, mm-hmm. Senegal, any of those places. Any of those places they took us and put us on boats and shipped us yeah. to the west, basically. And, yes. and, you know, I know in some Caribbean places that there you had you had liberties that people who were taken to the to what is now the United States weren't allowed to have. And so a lot of um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of cultural preservation. And so and I know and, they, and I'm again, I'm, I'm assuming that that gave Caribbean folks a, very, a, a, a really a, a, a grounded sense of pride that black Americans that it, it took us a while to catch up because we were stripped of almost everything, if not literally everything. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, again, yeah. we had this conversation last episode. Let's stop. Let's bury that beef, that regional yeah. beef. Let's just we all we're all <laughs> running from the clan together at the end of the day. So yes, are. you are not better than me, and I am oh, not better than God. you. So yeah, yeah. Case closed. Um, but actually, and I wanted to uh, bring it back to when Clinton holds Troy's hand. That destroyed me mm. because. Oh, there was just like this softness because, you know, there was fighting or whatever and sibling rivalry. And then there's the softness when he holds her hand. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the song is playing. Yeah. Oh, it was just like, and you just wanted to take those kids and hug them. And, you know, and it, but it did bother me that um, she kind of assumed the, the mother role and, like uh, the mom, as we were saying, never really got a break, mm-hmm. and she kind of was seemed like the the taskmaster and was really harsh with her children, and I didn't like that. And the father seemed like he kind of got away with it; and he was more adored by the children, yeah, because the mother had to assume all this responsibility because she's married to an artist and she's got these kids and. I don't know. It just was a little unfair. I found it was a little unfair. Oh, absolutely. I would hope. Um... I hope that after her mother's death that Troy, again, I kind of understand that, but I think, I I think I would hope, my hope was always watching this film, every time I watched it, that there was always that, that, that grace extended to her of you're still a child, so you're allowed to be a child as well. But, because um, again, I can see it in those little nods that you're, you're referring to really, like doing her younger brother's hair and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and she may mm-hmm. just be doing her younger brother's hair. Like, I, that's always my hope, because again, I feel like, I feel like especially black women in this film were treated so well, for lack of a better term, you know, that mm-hmm. I would hope that even in the, the last bit of this film, because we because, you know, because I think he, I think it does this, this film does a really good job of like showing the variety of perspectives and the range of emotions that black women and girls go through. And so I just mm-hmm. hope so. And, and, and because of that because that, that good faith has already been kind of sprinkled upon the film's narrative. So at the end, mm-hmm. it's not, for me, it was never Troy taking on any any of her mother's burdens, but it was also, but kind of just learning to be independent. Like, it, and but mm-hmm. also, but also, she's still a child, and she's going to be mm-hmm. a child until she's not a child anymore. So, I, I that was mm-hmm. always my hope, but I don't know for sure. I think you have, I think you bring up a really great assessment. Does is she is Troy still allowed to be a girl about mm-hmm. allowed to be a child? I think that's fair to ask. Yeah, because I think like a lot of family, like a lot of black families, they they have a matriarch, right? Like the mother's usually in charge or like I know with me, it was like, dad, can I do this? Go ask your mother. <laughs> <laughs> like a hundred percent like or like my grandmother, my grandmother was kind of like the matriarch where people kind of adored her. And, you know, she was kind of like the holder of the family Mm -hmm. history kind of thing so um yeah I think there's a lot of weight on that so I wonder if like maybe Troy I'm just thinking like you know projecting like say this her character Troy ends up being like kind of the holder of the family history as well or I don't know it's just it's an interesting thought because she's kind of like the conduit between her mother and her father when um carolyn kicks her husband out mm-hmm. after they have that kind of knockdown, drag out fight 
and and it's like more of like a family fight because even the kids are involved it's kind of like this swarm of like family and disagreement and that's the thing like i i think the Mm -hmm. issue i am this this what i'm about to say leans a lot into my own personal experience but like that's Mm -hmm. why parents have to be in agreement like there can't be a good cop Mm -hmm. there can't be a good cop bad cop especially when you're disciplining your children you have to have to be on the same page because that that kind of creates that turmoil and i think Mm -hmm. the father should just should be just as much of a disciplinarian if not more um than the mom like you gotta like if i if i said no tv during the weeknights then there's no tv during the week nights and my husband can't come behind me or my or the child's father and can say you know or tell me to let him watch the game like no that that can't you can't especially in front of the kid because then that's going to create confusion it's 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 a lot that's why i think i again this is why i love this film it's just it is so on target as far as just being just being a cinematic you know, memory book, like you said, of just like how these things mm-hmm. kind of can go. And yeah, I think, I think she, I think Carolyn was fed up. She was fed up with, you know, we, you know, if you're going, we got to get, the, we got to have the money, right? We can't have our lights going off because bills aren't being paid or checks are being bounced. You, we can't be in disagreement about the way we're disciplining these children because then it becomes they're against me and then they love you because you, because you're yeah. being easy, quote unquote, easy on them. You know, yeah, and even when the mom—that's what I—I I can understand that frustration. Like as a mother, like no wonder our mothers turn gray so early. It's just like <laughs> if I tell you to clean the kitchen before you go to bed, what do you think? You know, she had. Yeah. I was, I was, I was on board. Like I would not, I would dare not define my mother that t- that badly. First of all, yeah. I would not do that because she, she sure enough did. Came, she came home and turned on the lights and and spanked them little behinds and said, "You better get in that kitchen and clean up this kitchen." And mm-hmm. so you're again. I, you, there's you, another just just um to note your past point. Yeah, because even when Troy, like you know, after her mom had after her mom gone, she I, she cleaned up the kitchen by herself. They showed the one scene of her like with the, with Mudley. Oh, he's just watching Aww, her clean. Yeah. Oh my god, I some oh, I gotta get me a Mudley. Oh, I one one of these days, man. I oh my god, that dog is just. Oh my god. Oh my god! So Let cute. me stop Harper. Sweet yeah. little face. I just want to kiss this little snoot. It's all, it's all <laughs> about Mutley, y'all. It's all about Mutley. Yep. But yeah, Muttley. so when you know when she was uh cleaning the kitchen, yeah, you're right. It's just like taking. I guess the the only the way I can also put it is because when they show that clip of um with Carolyn kind of like posthumously on the steps and talking about how she's so proud of Troy, it's just it's. I've talked about this a lot on one-on-one conversations with friends and th- I think you too. And it's just about when our, when we lose our mothers, a part of us, no matter what age we are, a part of us kind of grows up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, it's like, it's like a signal. It's kind of just, it's very much like, you know, it's a story as old as time. Once the mother goes, the kind of the flock kind of has to figure out things for themselves, and I think mm-hmm. the sim- the symbol the symbolism of Troy cleaning up the kitchen was her kind of like is 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 the beginning of kind of her rite of passage as kind of like who am I without who am I going to be without my mother who am I or what what what, what are the what are the things she instilled in me mm-hmm. and how should I honor that thing, um, and a part of that is just responsive the the cleaning the kitchen is, you know, it's, it's responsibility. It's being responsible for yourself. It's taking pride in your home. Mm-hmm. It's, um, 
not necessarily cleaning up after your little your little raggedy butt brothers, rusty butt brothers, as they say in the movie. Um, but also, it's it's about it's about self. It's about figuring out self too. Um, I am one of those people who loves to clean. I love mm. I love having a clean home. I love you know scrubbing things down. I love making things look presentable and nice and neat and in order. Um, and that's and also cleaning for me also clears my head. Mm-hmm. Helps me feel help, helps unclutter my cluttered thoughts basically, and so that's kind of how I felt about her kind of moving moving toward whatever her phase in life is going to be with just her brothers and her dad. And yeah, she was like starting with a clean slate. You know, she just needs to get away, get all the trappings of what was before, so that she could start what was coming, what was you know coming ahead of her. So yeah, I could see that for sure. So. There are a lot of different things. We've covered a lot. Uh, there are um, a lot of different resources. You found some great resources about just um, about Crooklyn because it was, it was, again, it was, it, it's one of Spike Lee's kind of like under the radar, maybe not talked about enough kind of films in his repertoire. Mm-hmm. But you found an article that Bell Hooks had r- written. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and it was really, uh, it was really interesting. She actually said a few things that I kind of was like, oh, I was thinking about that, but the way she articulated was really, uh, so obviously because she's brilliant, but it was so beautifully done. And I really liked what she said about um, just seeing like a black family that's not like a real grounded black family, you know? I think that was one of the things she really liked about Kirkland. Um, she had some issues with um, the mother and she she found that some of the f- women's roles were a bit misogynistic. That's her. That was her take on it. But yeah, I really it was just nice to see a black family, the highs and the lows and the fun and the not so fun and the the reality like things are, you know, life changes every minute. And I think that they captured that so well in, in Crooklyn. And Bell Hooks also said, I, I watched this as an undergrad. I think I found this. It was, I think YouTube actually existed back then. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago, but basically she has kind of a, um, a four, like a, a six part, maybe kind of like, this was, this is super, you can tell this is, was done in the nineties because everything she's talking about mm-hmm. is, um, and pop culture and politics and otherwise was from the nineties. And she kind of like was talking about what was going, she took her, her own feminist critique of what was going on in the world at the time. Um, again, one example was she talked about the OJ Simpson trial, but like, you know, her perspective was, you know, this is about, you know, a man inflicting in violence on a woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, and she, but she also talked about, you know, it, very briefly, it comes in, it comes in at the, uh, I will, we'll link the video, but it comes in at the, around the 451 mark where she's kind of like speaking on um, black filmmakers telling their stories. And if it doesn't fit into the white Hollywood imagination, um, mm-hmm. uh, these films are failures if they, if they don't fit this mold. And she, she briefly kind of like um, scratched the surface about, about Crooklyn. And she was just like, you know, these, she was re- she was like talking about critics who said, well, it didn't have a plot. And she was like, well, it didn't have a plot that interests you. And Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, this movie was about a black mother dying. It was about a black family. And because, again, this is a film that doesn't, you know, capture your exotic eye or, you know, uh, tinkle those those exotic senses that you have about blackness and black people, then it's not a film that's valuable to you or worth 
investigating or worth giving its merit as a really solid piece of cinema that Spike did. It's a very personal piece. It's this is a very I thought this also film was very vulnerable. Um mm. I would I would we gotta we gotta do some more digging. We gotta see if um Joa has said anything about the film as well because it is it because it because it does center a loosely based character of her. I, I I I very much assume. So you know this is about this movie's about black women. This is about black man, the more we do stuff like this not to go off on a tangent, but like black women, our stories, they don't want us I, I even more. So I don't think we, they want black women telling stories like this, like these positive, I think about Zendashe and her mission statement as a director, like she's really about the black femme experience and about like putting mm-hmm. that on and doing things that you would never really have seen before. And so, and I, but this is, this is, this is my, wheelhouse this is my ministry like these are the kind of films i want to see because these are the kinds of because these are healthy relationships too right more or less Mm -hmm. and and real relationships like mm -hmm. you know sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad sometimes you know like carolyn loves her children across the board but sometimes they drove her nuts she loves her husband she's like but you know what you need to you know you need to help me out here with this family and like you know, even Troy, like Troy is kind of like, I see what my mom's going through when I see what my dad's going through. Like, it's just real people. And as what you're saying, um, what um, Bell Hook says, it's like, because it doesn't interest white viewers, white spectators, white critics, it's like, why does that then not, it doesn't gain any merit for them? But they can shove it because this is this is not your stupid vision or stereotypes of what black people are. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so tired. Like I know this is going to cause a lot of controversy, but I am tired of white critics writing about things they don't have any place writing about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like just bothers me. It bothers me. Yeah, I think our 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 voices matter first and foremost and we mm-hmm. our, our perspectives on it are kind of are sometimes yeah I think it's important that our perspectives are given merit first and foremost for all of this mm-hmm. because it, it frames sometimes it frames the it, fr- it frames the critical reception it frames the discourse that we have around films that are showing black people in black life and mm-hmm. you're right I, I I don't I mean again now true um, one of the things that filmmakers first ask themselves when they're making these films, like who is who who is who is who's the audience? And I think that's really important. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you again, I talked about, I've said it before. I I love when we're seeing hum, human experiences on screen. So to an extent, anyone could relate to it. But also again, yes. but if you're but if you are a person not a part of that culture or classified under that racial category, so to speak. Uh, you better if you're going to write about th- this work you better you better do the work of being gentle with it and giving it yes giving it a fa- giving it fair assessment but also maybe uh, maybe at least doing the research or doing the work of understanding the nuances and maybe even being honest about your cultural blind spots which is nat- which is natural yep. and normal like a lot of people who probably who, who may listen to this are not is not going to know what dax is or a hot comb mm-hmm. you know they're <laughs> yeah. not going to know what that is yeah. they may they may not know um double dutch even though i think double dutch is a european game 
Yeah. Um, Isn't it, I, I don't even know the origins. I think yeah. it's European in origin, I believe. Um, okay. But yeah, I, but mm-hmm. I think it's too, it's like, you know, you have to approach each culture as like black culture is storytelling, it's oral traditions. And then, you know, when you kind of move it down into like modern representations, like I feel like Crooklyn is like a storytelling tradition where you're showing a community, you're showing things happening in the community and you have to like, um, you have to give some leeway for the culture. Like if I'm um, reviewing an indigenous film, I'm not just going to go in with my, I mean, I'm going in with my experience, but I am hyper aware of it not being my experience. And so I come in as an outsider but I'm going to um, respect the culture if I'm writing about an indigenous film and I'm going to do my research and I'm going to look up what, why this film is being made or, you know, like you're not going to just approach and go, well, I don't get it. it. There's no story to it. I don't get it. You can't approach cultures that way. That's what makes me angry. Exactly. Um, for me, I wouldn't even touch it at all. I would just be like, this is not, if, especially if I had no interest, if I didn't have like, um, not necessarily an invested interest, but if like, if I'm not a part of that culture, I'm probably going to like, pro- probably not write about it at all and kind of just let other mm-hmm. people cook. And I do, yeah. I will say, yeah, I do. I see a lot of people doing that. I see a lot of people who are in very privileged positions and just have very privileged identities, like literally tell me, I'm just like, yeah, I, I gave that writing assignment to someone else even though I, I i loved this film but it's not for me to write about mm-hmm. so i so i that's why but I, and i'm gonna and i'm in a position to give people a a freak a gig to make a couple of hundred dollars to write about this film you know and so i'm gonna do that because again it's not for me to do that so yeah i so i i agree with you 100 percent and also i think for me personally and i think for a lot of other people like i said is like you know what that's that's an assi- that's a written piece for someone else. Um, yes. Yeah. I pi- I'm going to piggyback on that and say that I've actually kind of stepped away from writing about something that is deeply cultural, unless it has like um, a storytelling aspect or like a, a, a like um, a cultural aspect that I find really intriguing then I will write about it because I think it's really important for people to write about something that may be outside of their culture um, in a respectful way that may open up a discourse to, for people to explore more about other cultures, I guess. But I mean, it's not really my job as a critic. I guess, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but like, I don't, I'm not going to approach things and just dismiss it because I don't understand it. I guess that's where I'm going. I, if I want to understand something, I will write about it. Um, But I am actually leaning towards not writing about, see, it's hard to say though, because this is like a gray area because you want to write about other cultures too, right? Some people do. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to because of that very reason. It's just like, yeah. And again, but I know a lot of people who do and do it very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just not Mm -hmm. one of those people. I'm always, I don't know if it's just been instilled in me from 
my my family or just subconsciously even and just and but more it but even more consciously once I um once I really started college because I was tra- I was a transfer student like I went to an art school at first that offered no mm-hmm. no substance <laughs> for my learning for yeah. my learning experience and then I got to another university where you had all the cult you had you had you know a culture at your at your fingertips and you can absorb anything. Mm-hmm. You, the world was your oyster, basically. And so, but I was always drawn to blackness and wanting to explore that. But I, but my exploration of that for me, it's not really about other people, other cultures. It's about cult. It's about the cultures within my own culture, basically. It's mm-hmm. the people yeah. who looked like me, but doing some alternative, but doing some alternative stuff. So basically, what we're what we're what we're talking about before is like you know subverting the white Hollywood imagination. And I was always yeah. interested in those kinds of narratives, that kind of music, that, that kind of media in general. And so that was my mm-hmm. focus. Uh, so, but other people, but I always respected other like I. But I always respected other cultures, and I, and I always, I still do. I just, this, this, this honestly goes without saying. I'm rambling right now, but basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> open to um, watching films and listening to talks and other people um, discuss things. Like today, like you, you, you're going to the indigenous um, film talk for Fantasia. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that, and yeah, and I think also to piggyback off of that, um, I think I want to write about horror for instance in another culture because i think folklore and um the way that other cultures approach horror is so important because we're not always you know um like for caribbean culture and like there's some other like cultures that their folklore is not mythology it's real to them Mm -hmm. right so I think it's really interesting to to make sure that that is represented within horror. I, I think it's very important. Um, so I think that's why I write about it, because I want to show that it's not just like, you know, what, like Nancy tales, as they say, <laughs> you know. So I wanted to be sure, because one of the more interesting parts of this film is when you're seeing... Uh... When you're seeing Troy in the bodega and she's watching a man dance with a with a with a woman mm-hmm. and they're, they're playing um do you know what you know what type of music they're playing in the background no okay so it's it's um it's it's music being sung in spanish so if that gives anybody mm-hmm. any ideas but i thought it was interesting because it's kind of like it's kind of slow-mo to an extent um so i didn't want to assume but i did read um in an interview it comes to find out like that is rupaul dancing yes with that man i just i wanted to be sure because i'm like is that i'm not sure if that's rupaul because that was kind of like one of those this is before we all became kind of came a little bit more sensitive to the idea and enlightened in the 1990s any man dressed like a woman was rupaul by default and so and that was a kind of a derogatory thing to say to people uh yeah so but that was literally rupaul in the movie so he makes a cameo which is not which is kind of cool uh I don't know what else. Um... Oh yeah, the, the the cat swinging. I'm like, oh, oh my god, my I god. Kill those kids, <laughs> the poor cat. Yeah. Anyway, it is clearly fake, but yeah, it's it's yeah. clearly fake once you watch it. But the cat, but even just the idea that people used to do that, like the first of all, the cat yeah. is traumatized. You can severely hurt someone by doing that. Yeah. Like if a, if a boy did that to me, the the rage, the white blind rage, I would have had. <laughs> I would not. I would have dragged him to hell if that happened to me. Yeah. 
So yeah, but just yeah, that's the kid stuff that the kids do. Like when the kid, and this is that and that stuff. I'm not, I'm not guilty of doing, and to to, to in, in 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 different forms, obviously. But even like um, when I think it was Wendell, or he's throwing the garbage in um Tony Eyes's uh garbage oh. area, just to, just yeah. just to be a little to be a little shit, like you know what I mean, yeah. like you know just to antagonize him yes he's dirty but it's not fair to, but don't like throw stuff at him it's just like the, the stuff you do as a kid when you're not thinking like you're just you're, you're being an asshole but you don't fully grasp realize it yeah how awful you're being yeah. because that's what kids do oh. um kids are brats yeah kids kids <laughs> are really are, are can be brats um all of us yeah and yeah. so yeah i mean there was little things like that uh yeah, I think this uh the house apparently the house in which the family of seven in the movie lives is located at Seven Arlington Place in Brooklyn, New York. I believe that is Bed Stuy, oh, yeah. um, that yeah. neighborhood. And poor Queenie, we didn't talk about Queenie, uh, the little dog from Maryland. Oh Who- yeah, poor baby Queenie. Yeah, that was supposed to be played for a joke though. Supposed to pop out of the fold out um couch and and literally pop out and fall on the floor. We don't even know how it happened. But Queenie was like the one of those little what, what used to be described as like yippy dogs. Who was like you know because when Troy was playing with um, Queenie in the bed, it was like kind of nipping at her and stuff. So it was kind of a, like a little like runt or or the dog. I don't know if the dog was supposed to be as snooty and as as the, yeah, it's like um, a little a little lap dog. They you know they they you know that they get spoiled and that was that was the ant ant songs like Pride and Joy was little Queenie. Yeah, but it's like, but the, you, we all, because we both have lost pets. So those pets are like, they literally become part of your family. So when you lose them, mm. <laughs> like you, you felt, you felt Aunt Song's pain when she was crying about, Lord, take me now. Yeah. Like you know, when she lost poor Queenie. It was kind of um, cute too when uh, um, Troy was like, I'm sorry about Queenie, even though I hated that little dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, she did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was sad. So R.I.P. Queenie. Uh, I always think about I, I always think about you. How different you would be if you actually grew up in Brooklyn. <laughs> I think about that a lot myself. I'm like, wow. Like, I can't even imagine what I would have been like. I think. I think honestly, uh, I think the only thing would be different is your accent. I think yeah, you still would have been the same person. I think you and Simone and your other sister would have been the same people. You just 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 different accents. I would like to think that I, I would have grown up a little bit tougher because probably <laughs> I wish I was a little bit tougher because maybe I wouldn't, you know, have dealt with all the shitty bosses that I had to deal with in my lifetime. But, you know, it is what it is. And yeah, it's yeah, I always think about that and like how my sisters would have turned out. And yeah, it's. You know, when this whole plague nonsense calms down and we can travel, I do, I do want to go to Flatbush and I want to check it out. And I actually had some cousins contact me from my mom's side um, and they're like, hey, man, where are your cousins on Facebook? And I'm like, what? And I saw their last names. I'm like, yeah, you guys are totally my cousins. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. So I wouldn't mind visiting them. They're in New York somewhere. I don't know where, but that would be really nice. Yeah, I'm gonna come bulldoze that whole. I'm gonna come for a few hours, and I have. I'm gonna have to crash that party. Yes, girl, I will call you for <laughs> sure. I'll, 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 I'll take the 90 minute train ride to New York City for that. So yes, that will be a party. So, yep. 
So another little fun fact before we get out of here, uh, Sinke Lee and Joa Lee originally wrote the script as a pilot for Nickelodeon. A test pilot was screened for inner city children who disliked it. And so the Lees converted their idea into a screenplay. And of course, this came together really nicely because this was post Malcolm X and Spike decided to do something a little bit more smaller in scale as far as a film. That's interesting that the kids didn't like it. That's so weird. Probably because it wasn't, I don't know if they, I don't, I'm guessing they didn't, they wrote it for kids, but they didn't. And maybe it was just, they didn't relate to it because it was a period piece as well. I don't know. Yeah. And it's it's centered around kids, but really, because like I said, like you wouldn't like, because this, I know this is really nostalgic for someone like you or people who are older than you because they grew up in the seventies. And Mm. it's nostalgic for me because a lot of what was echoed in the seventies happened very much in the nineties when I was coming of age. So, and even the music this is the music that my mom grew up on. And so if this is the mm-hmm. music my mom grew up on, this is the music I heard in the house. Cause like all the, all the, all the um, music that he used in, that Spike used in this movie, I knew, like I knew mm-hmm. some of the lyrics is not all of the lyrics. It's not most of the lyrics. Like I knew, I knew the, yeah. I knew this was, I knew this stuff. So um, I think that's what made this, this um, film is really a, a period piece for sure. A good one. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad this film didn't make us, too sensitive like we it was sentimental for us but we didn't get weepy about it like i'm glad because again this is like my mom like my mom would have been 59 this year at the at the end of this month Mm -hmm. and and again this was a movie about a mother who who passes away um and this is it's just a movie about a family i'm just kind of like it just it feels good like i Mm -hmm. you can you'll, you'll never deny feeling sad that you're that you know the the, pe- the the people who brought you into this world aren't around anymore especially if you had a somewhat decent relationship with that with that with those people you know um yeah you're always gonna feel sad but you're but you're always yeah. gonna be grateful for again like you said the memories that they gave you and the good stuff too yeah for sure and uh, happy birthday to your moms oh, thank you you know happy birthday to your moms i think this is a really lovely uh, film to talk about for your mom's birthday month Comple- yeah. completely accidental it's... too so yeah <laughs> but perfect <laughs> uh, so ashley uh where can people find you um at ashley takes note on twitter carolyn i uh, can find me at vfd pixie on the twitters and y'all this has been really melanated uh again seek out this film uh especially the music <sighs> I see again. I our, our parents are musicians. I grew up with music, so music is always going to be first and foremost. Music and dogs. <laughs> music. Yep, music and dogs and cats. Yeah, cats. <laughs> cats for Carolyn. Dogs for me. But... Cats. Cats and dogs and everything. <laughs> uh, until September. Bye. Bye. Thank you.